Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hello again, this is Dr. Fred, and thanks so much for joining me. Today's title of this episode is called Life is Bittersweet, and you'll soon realize why. Recently, our church family experienced a death of one of our elderly saints, and she's been a pillar in the church for decades. Now, just a few weeks ago, we honored her in our morning service, and there, among other things, one of her sons sang a favorite song of hers. She joked afterward that it couldn't have been her funeral because she was still alive. Well, not three weeks later, she's gone to be with her Lord. She sees him face to face. She worships him with all of her heart, mind, and soul. And there is not a hint of sin within her any longer. She is blessed, even though her loved ones and those who knew her mourn their loss. Well, this morning... I received an email from a brother in Christ who's a regular reader of this blog and uh, listens to these um, episodes. And I feel as if I know him and that we're friends because of how often we email one another. His note this morning was short and a little bit of a blessing to read in spite of the sadness associated with it. He said, I just wanted to let you know that my dad passed away early this morning, 4.05 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. He is free. He is now glorified. Finally and fully, he is now with the Lord, having reunited with my mom. It doesn't get any better than that. What better hands than the Lord? Amen. Indeed. You take care now. Unquote. Well, in the past, this young man has written with concerns about his father's health and requests for prayers. And in some ways, I was kind of reliving the way my own mother passed away as I watched her become more frail as she inched toward death. And it's always so difficult to lose Christian loved ones, isn't it? On one hand, we know we'll see them again. On the other, we mourn the loss because we can't talk with them any longer. I still sometimes would like to uh, pick up the phone and talk with my sister, but she went on to the Lord in 2008. Life is like that for Christians. We know that ultimately we have something far better laid up for us in heaven than anything we have in this life. Yet at the same time, we often have full hearts, sometimes with gladness, sometimes with mourning and sorrow because of the dichotomy that we often feel while living here. Well, as I look back, in my life and to the horizon, seeing as far as I can, which isn't that far, obviously, I realize that life has seriously changed and not for the better. And it'll continue, most likely, on that path. We are experiencing extremely high fuel prices, which of course affects everything else. And the result is serious, serious inflation. The folks in DC appear to be doing absolutely nothing to help the situation at all, but they seem intent on allowing things to worsen. Well, who knows where it will end? Well, since I'm not a prophet, I certainly have no way of knowing. God has not clued me in on the end result of this situation, except generally, of course, that one day I'll be with him. One day the the tribulation will occur and he will return physically, but I don't know when that'll happen. And because of all this, I tend to worry I worry not for me necessarily, but for our kids and their kids, our grandchildren. The world appears to be increasingly unhinged. Shootings have occurred in several areas of the USA over the past few weeks. 
We had, for instance, a devout leftist who apparently loves Rachel Maddow and who thoroughly believes in communism. Well, he opened fire at a grocery store in a largely black neighborhood of Buffalo, New York. And of course, because of this, he was immediately labeled a white supremacist. And the blame was placed directly on the GOP, in spite of the fact that the perpetrator is not anywhere near what would be classified as a conservative or even right wing. He is clearly left wing, as his manifesto states, but he's white and he killed black people. Therefore, he is a racist. End of story. Daryl Brooks, a black BLM supporter, plowed through a group of white people in a parade last Christmas, and the blame was placed on the vehicle, quote, a car plowed through, unquote. Well, he was quickly out on bail, and we're told not to jump to conclusions regarding his motives. Well, it seems clear that Brooks is also a racist based on his own history on social networks. But the narrative today is that because of critical race theory, black people cannot truly be racist because they allegedly do not have power over white people. Well, this is absolute hogwash because anyone can hate another person who is of another race or culture, regardless of whether or not they actually have the power to hold them down or keep them from advancing. But the truth is that as Brooks has allegedly shown, he did have power over the white people that he killed or injured, just as the Buffalo shooter had power over the people he killed or injured. Didn't matter that one used a gun, one used a car. They were both murder weapons. Now, aside from all this, we see more and more gay, lesbian, and transgender teachers coming out of the woodwork to provide what they call changing closets for their students to help them talk about their gender and to help them transition from one gender to another and also to keep things private from parents. Now, when I was in school, most of the time, we never even knew if our teacher was married or not. And um, we never knew their politics. Today, it is expected that teachers will groom students and discuss political activism. Well, that might be acceptable for the upper grades in high school and beyond in social studies or whatever political class they're teaching, at least to discuss it, not groom. But it is happening in the very youngest of grades when those brains are still forming. And this is forcing parents to make decisions about what to do with their children so that they're not impacted by the covert methods the left is using to gain power over young, impressionable minds. We're seeing people who spent the first 50 years of their lives today as a man, who now all of a sudden assert that they're actually a woman. This entire line of thinking is problematic because no one, no one can actually change their biology. If they are born one particular gender, changing things externally does not impact their chromosomes one bit, yet we're to accept what they believe they are now. It's absurd to the nth degree, but that's what's being foisted on society, and if you don't accept it, well, then you're transphobic. You're a racist, you're homophobic, you're all kinds of phobics. Abortion, of course, is another huge issue, with the major mayor of New York City recently stating that there should be absolutely no limits to abortion on demand, even agreeing that up to the moment of birth is still the right time to abort. 
Many pro-abortionists actually want moms to be able to kill their children beyond the moment of birth. So what we are seeing throughout society is a push to literally murder children who have grown to full term in the womb. This is heinous, but the left continues pushing it. And here's where it really kind of gets strange. On one hand, we are told now that women and men can menstruate and even get pregnant. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? But it's not nearly a woman's thing anymore. So the labels are changing from birth mother to birthing person. Breastfeeding is now chest feeding. These types of changes are all based on feels, virtue signaling, emotional virtue, and they have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with science. And if you were paying attention during the uproar over the Supreme Court leak about the potentiality of overturning Roe v. Wade, the left went crazy and again went back to the my body, my choice meme and a woman's health is not up to men, etc. Well, the problem here is that why was my body, my choice great when it deals with abortion, but not regarding a vax? Moreover, how is it merely a woman's health issue, quote unquote, when the same left now says that men can also get pregnant? I will grant you that a woman who transitions to becoming a male outwardly, but continues to have a uterus and vagina can get pregnant. And the reason she can get pregnant is because biologically she remains a woman. I don't care how she looks outwardly. A man who transitions to being a woman outwardly can only do it outwardly by having certain things removed and others added. However, that man does not have a uterus, a vagina, no fallopian tubes or eggs. In essence, that man who outwardly becomes a woman can never become pregnant, will never menstruate, and never experience what a biological woman actually experiences. So on one hand, the left became apoplectic about a woman's health issue. Of course, it's not a health issue at all. Abortion is murder, and since women cannot self-impregnate but must use semen from a biological male, another person is involved in that pregnancy, even if it's done via in vitro fertilization. So a woman cannot simply will herself to become pregnant. But the really fascinating telling part of it is when the left completely ignored men in the process, the same men whom the left said could get pregnant and could menstruate. It is so ridiculous that it is hard to believe modern society is at the point of trying to force everyone to believe that men can actually become pregnant. So with this world going the way it's going, I can only wonder what our young grandchildren who are two and three years old will experience. If we are truly not living in the end of the end times prior to the tribulation and the physical return of our Lord, and life is going to continue on for many decades and even centuries yet, then I will assume that ultimately intelligent thinking will one day again rule the day, and the crazies who believe they are something they are not will be pushed back into the shadows. However, if we are on the cusp of of the coming seven-year tribulation, with the eventual return of our Lord at the end of it, then things will not improve, and in fact, they will become drastically worse. It actually appears to me that society is seriously unraveling at its core. Up is down, bad is good, right is wrong, and all of this is creating a huge disaster on many levels. 
I just turned 65. I'm not getting any younger. I look back at my life and I see that I've written, for instance, some 30 books on a variety of doctrinal and theological subjects. Some of them are good to great. Others are a bit lacking. But here's the thing. Even though I've tried to write other books, I find that I'm simply not interested. In fact, I can look back over the past five to 10 years and see that I'm not really interested in many of the things I used to be interested in. Things are changing for me. I'm finding myself looking ahead a great deal, focusing on being with him one day, when my faith will become sight, when I will no longer have a sin nature that keeps me bound to this life and falling out of fellowship with him. It is remarkable how my perspective has changed and continues to change over the years. So, In spite of all the ills and stupidity in life and the seeming downward trajectory of society, what is the Christian's response to be? How do we gain and keep our sanity while the rest of the world clearly goes bonkers? Well, I believe Philippians 4, 6 to 7 is merely one place that reveals the task at hand. Paul says this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, there you have it. Paul tells us that we should not be anxious about anything in this life. It's actually a command, and he was using his apostolic authority to tell us, to command us, don't be anxious. Flee from it. Above all things, don't give in to anxiety. Now, that's easier said than done, but fortunately, Paul tells us how to do this. And it is done, according to Paul, by taking everything to God in prayer and supplication. Now, supplication, we all know what prayer is, but supplication is an earnest form of prayer, heartfelt. There's almost a sort of desperation involved in supplication. We must desperately seek him in prayer and do all we can to give him the things that seek to bind us, to let those things go. And while doing this, we must offer tremendous praise for him, his will, and whatever it is on our behalf that he chooses for us. If we are willing to undergird our prayer requests with thanksgiving, it is then that God's peace will guard our hearts and minds. Now, I don't know all the things, uh, and neither do you. I mean, I don't know everything, obviously, and neither do you. I can't even see two weeks or a month down the road. I don't know what is going to happen in my own life, much less society. It would make decisions I need to make today much easier if I knew that. But I don't have that future knowledge, so I've got to pray about everything. I've got to offer much thanksgiving, and with it, I need to trust that he will direct my steps so that he will be glorified and I will grow in grace and fellowship with him. If I spend my time worrying, being anxious over things, I will become locked up inside, unable to move one way or another. So as I refuse to be anxious and instead bring everything to him in prayer and undergird all of it with constant praise and adoration for his will and provision, it will be then that this peace that I can't even begin to understand will 
flow over me and guard my heart and mind. I will be led into the path that he has chosen for me. Well, I hope this benefits you today. And until we meet again, I pray that God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 